3: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
4: Welcome everybody to another Macklin's Take lockdown bonus episode. Hope you're all well. First of all, I just need to doff my hat to our technical guru uh, and valuable team member, Darren Reese, who has cut all these lockdown bonus episodes together for us over the course of the last five or, or six weeks. He's the driving force behind Macklin's Take when it comes to anything that requires any kind of technological ability, because neither myself nor Mr. <laughs> Mr. Macklin uh, are particularly skilled on that front. We can hit record at the start and stop at the end. Uh, we struggle with that some week. So without Darren, then really very little of this would be possible. So big thanks to him. And hopefully you're enjoying uh, all this hard work he's been doing. So this week, our theme for the bonus episode is it's a kind of this boxing life theme, really, because we look at different roles within the sport, front line roles, trenches roles, if you like, and speak to a number of different people. We start off with Peter Buckley, legendary away corner fighter, 300 fight veteran, very capable, skillful fighter. One area titles probably could have gone higher than that, but chose to box out of the away corner. And that was a very interesting conversation. After him, Sherelle Brown, newly turned professional, very, very good amateur. She talked to us about the grind of gathering backing and selling tickets. We got on my good friend, Cello Render, who turned pro without any amateur experience whatsoever, without even a trainer. So he had a very interesting journey, picking up experience through real hard sparring. Then we revisit the conversation we had in Birmingham with the likes of Paul Ramsey, Sean Cogan, Anthony Maynard, Darren Sweeney, real pros who had very real careers. And then last but certainly not least, we revisit our trip to the Fitzroy Lodge where we sat down with the the head coach there, Mark Rygate, and talked to him about what's involved in in running uh, one of the most famous amateur clubs in the land. So it's a good lineup. It's It's a really interesting and varied listen. Hope you enjoy it.
3: Oh, the sharp Has such teeth there And it shows them
5: pearly away Just a jack knife has old Maggie Heap And
3: it keeps it uh, out of sight You know when that shark bite with well, his teeth big
4: Wandered in here as we drove up into the car park we saw a man outside, in the beer garden, (laughs) to any normal passerby, they wouldn't necessarily have given him a second look. But if you're a boxing fan, you will know exactly who he is, because it is Peter Buckley. And listeners to Macklin's take, you are boxing aficionados, and I don't really need to explain to you who Peter Buckley is. But for those of you who aren't aware, he is the original king of the journeyman is is that a title that you kind of embrace or not Um, particularly
2: yeah I'm quite proud of the fact that I had 300 fights and I was a top journeyman yeah
4: 300 fights 32 wins 256 defeats 12 draws very very rarely stopped now people who watch boxing every week we all know the the crucial role the crucial um, part that away corner fighters play in boxing up and down the country any number of bills every single weekend there are countless fights that wouldn't Happen were it not for fighters who were happy to take the call at a moment's notice, throw their gloves into the car, their boots into the car, and hightail it up to whatever venue it happens to be, and that that's what that's what life on the road is as a as a professional away corner fighter. And and you've been in with 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 some of the with some of the best. I mean, some of the a couple of the names that spring up for me are Nasim Hamed obviously, yeah. but also Asselino Freitas. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever turn one down?
2: Um. The only fight I ever turned down once, I was in town, I was supposed to fight Lebi or whatever his name, the South African. And someone tried to mug me in town and I had a fight in town, Actually, it bust my hand up, so I couldn't fight. But I ended in fight. I ended up fighting him about three months later down the road in Bristol and he beat me on points, which easy fight. So that was the only fight I really turned down but at the time but I had him three months later.
4: And what was the what was the kind of latest call? The late latest latest, latest call? <laughs>
2: So I'll be sitting in my house having my dinner, get a phone call. You might be fighting in Dudley in the next couple of hours. Yeah, okay, so just get your kit ready. And that was it.
0: (laughs) I'm
5: laughing because I I just love that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know what I mean? You just don't see that now, really. It might be the odd one uh, that are still around doing it, but not, not. With the same regularity and the same, oh, that was the one off, That was That's, a good few times. I was yellow, say, yeah,
2: that yeah, was, that was pretty standard. Yeah, pretty standard. It, pretty yeah, good? yeah,
4: yeah. Well, Chris Late called it a day last summer. I think. I think last July after he got to three hundred fights as well. And it's an, it's an extraordinary thing, really, because you have to stay in and around two or three different weights, be capable of making two or three different weights. That'll often mean giving weight away. You have to be just just ready and, and never injured. So, from that point of view. Do you actually train much when I used you're boxing?
2: To, I used to run every day, believe it or not. My tracksuit used to be at the end of my bed every day. And I'd get up if I had to go to work or whatever. Five o'clock every morning, I'd do a couple of miles every single day. And when I packed it in, I was still doing them couple of miles. And I thought, I don't really have to do this anymore. That was just to always keep myself ticking out. Of- so I always say you didn't have to be in the gym to be fit. But as long as you do your running, it's your cardio at night. I always believe. I've always been a good runner since I was a kid. I always done cross country. I was always in athletic team and that. I was always a good runner, so I've loved running. So I was always fit that way. I was yeah. always naturally fit.
5: Because I mean, when you turned pro, you didn't start out to be a journeyman, did you? You, were, you know, you were decent. Yep. Looks like well, certainly I, on a, a Midlands area. Level. Yeah.
2: Looks, like I was a good amateur. I had fifty-four fights, lost four. My last fight was when I was fifty. NABC finals, lost to Mark Tibbs, and then. I went off the road a bit for five years, in and out of trouble. And I got back boxing just by accident. He was like, Rocky Lawler, who used to be a midland Mans white champion lived around here. He kept saying, Come to the gym, come to the gym. So one day I just went to the gym with him, and like, within a few weeks, what, what the story was, Nobby took me sparring once over Dudley, and there was a big black guy who was a super white, who was massive. And Nobby put me in to spar with him, and the geezer couldn't get near him I was just peppering him with jabs, jabs, because I thought if he cops me, he's going to knock me out, do you know what I mean? And then next thing, I got signed up and I was fighting but my first fight I got a draw but I beat the kid up. My second fight I lost a box kid who had like 60 fights a man I was only a boy still and he dropped me the second round I took the count and that come back done alright Lost, the and I, was, I was a bit gutted and I was going no you're done alright there you didn't panic when you got dropped and all that won my next fight I started winning a few fights then but I didn't like take it really serious I just thought i would have a few fights to keep me out of trouble basically and then Next thing I you know, I was having my fight against Mark Devaney. He was British champion. He's got them a short notice job. That is notice, do you know what I mean? Eight threes or six threes. But,
4: yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, how how was it in terms of... It's always kind of appeared to me that if you go down that route, if you go down the away corner route, lots, lots of people don't do it. Think things don't turn out the way they want them to and then they can't get their head around the, the mental side of... Being an opponent and knowing that you're not going to get decisions if it's tight, and knowing that you're always going to be away from home, and knowing that really you're not there to to win. Sometimes you you do win. Obviously, it's yeah. not. It's, there's nothing fixed about it. But how how does your pride kind of square? How do you square your pride with it?
2: Well, look, say I've had I could have a hundred more fights than three hundred. I probably lost by half a point in the hometown corner. Loads of times I've won fights and I haven't got the decision. But what you do, do you like packing in? Uh, but no, so I don't let them beat me. I'm still earning money, providing for my family. And like, I, I enjoyed fighting. I love fighting, do you know what I mean? So it was either fight and get paid for it, or fight on the street and get nicked and locked up for it. So I'd rather get paid for it. <laughs>
5: yeah, and I think, I mean, the, the thing with Peter, we had 200 fights, you're hearing that seem here and he's coherent. No, 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 uh, no, no faculties lost. Mm. You know, he, he never, I, I don't, I mean, you must have boxed on loads of cards that I boxed. On. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah I did, yeah, yeah. I've never seen you get beat up. The only time I ever seen you with a black eye was when Frank Warren laid on a special thing for him for his 300th fight. Big ring entrance, everything. Like this was yeah. on the, this was a TV slot on the yeah. card. You know, it was a big deal, his 300th fight. And I think, Bas carry you boxed.
2: That's what, 200 fight? Oh, was think your 200 well, 200 fight, yeah two hundred. Yeah.
5: Well, I think because obviously you you tried to win it. Yeah. And you, and you, you come out with a black eye.
2: But that fight there, I should not have because two weeks before my brother had died, you see, so I wasn't having the fight. But nobody didn't talk me into it. We said, "No, oh, the, yeah, they're laying on the yeah, they give me the red carpet, red carpet treatment basically." So I took the fight, but I shouldn't have really took it through that being, But I thought it's a two hundred fight, but I'll just do it, and it didn't work out. I lost and. I probably would have beat him on a different day, but I've got a black eye for it. <laughs> I didn't, didn't like that. <laughs> I was going to say, normally you come out unscathed. Peter
5: yeah. yeah. uh, uh, Box, the mate of mine, Terry Fletcher.
2: Oh, God, met, big kid he
5: was. Yeah, with, yeah, yeah. Uh, t- Terry, very good friend of mine, one of best mates, and he turned pro uh, with Frank Warren, kind of through me, mm. I suppose, and I think he's second, I don't know it was his second, fight or third fight, he boxed Peter Book. Pucks beat her down in Wembley Conference. Wasn't yeah, it? Wembley Conference. Yeah. And, and now Terry was a big light welterweight. <laughs> yeah. What did you? What, what really were you?
2: I was a super bantamweight. Really. Super bantamweight.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so Terry was massive. And Terry was yeah. a big puncher, <laughs> yeah. but he never looked like stopping. <laughs> no, him. no, 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 no point. No, no, problem, no, time, no. At that no. no stage in that fight. No. Did Terry ever look like stopping yeah. him? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what? You know how to
2: look away. after yeah. did, yourself, yeah. didn't you? I did. Yeah. Look, so I had to learn how to look after myself because, like. I learned little tricks. in the, like, Good fighters like Paul Wesley. I mean, he fought Robert McCracken for the British title. Lost by half a point. Could have gone either way. But I used to spy with kids like that, and that. Used to pick up tricks and that, do you know what I mean? Like, I used to learn off everyone in the gym. Brian Coleman, 180 fights. Cole, Cole Taylor, 200 fights. You know, the, you learn off these kids. Like, when I first started, I was learning off these kids as well, do you know what I mean? A goonie was season pro, so... And they'll be never, like, sent you in there to win, if you know what I mean. But you ain't going to get the decision down here. Well, Don't forget... I'll tell you when I realised it was a box I boxed Duke McKenzie and I honestly thought, oh, I can give him a fight. He's, he was a flyweight and he fucking, his jab was like, I always he, he was like really high puncher. Like I thought, fucking hell. And uh, that hurt my pride when I got stopped because I'd never been stopped then. I'd never been stopped as an amateur either or a, or a pro. And he was the first person to stop me and it like devastated me a bit, do you know what I mean? And then I thought, oh, what the, I, I was, oh, I'll think, you know, I'll it in there. Then I be like, well, oh, you know, it's a world champion who's beat you, you know, there's no disgrace in that. I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. I was just carried on there. I just look like say, but it's disheartening sometimes when you go up to like, Scotland that hardest these players to get a decision, and you beat a kid up there, and you lose by half a point. You know you won, but what you do? You just you throw it in, or you carry on earning money, I'll just carry on earning money.
4: In terms of the people that you you boxed, in terms of their attitude towards. You how, did you, how did you find that? Did you come across some youngsters who were a bit cocky and, and fancied their chances and looked at your record and didn't really realise who you were necessarily? Or did most people know? Did most people um, know?
2: Some lads I'd box, especially after I boxed Nazim right? People was trying to stop me to better him. I'd be like, like so I boxed um, Spencer Oliver and if you watch it on YouTube, it was a really good fight, but he dropped me with a shot. And then when I watched it, I was like, how did I get up from that? But I got up and i tore back into him, we had a good fight, We'd get on YouTube. it was a really good fight, but I knew there was try- everyone was trying to beat uh, Nazis, you know, well, Naz didn't stop him we could stop him, we won above him, do you know what I mean so, there was all but some people like come in and think well, we can't stop him because I had a big punch like Nazim so, they'd not like, just take the time and I'd fiddle him about and I'd talk to him as well, like, so like, they'd beat me with I'd say, oh god man, I thought you could, I heard you could punch, and they'd be like, look at me as he thought like, fucking hell man, they'd like they just thought, like, oh, go into the shell and just like, try to point me instead, just box on the back foot and you know? that. So, yeah. Hey,
0: hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh,
1: in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes, it's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about?
0: I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desire and Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On
4: your marks, get set, go!
3: This
4: is so crazy! Yeah. I guess the psychology of it is quite important, the, the way that you the way that you approach it yourself and the way that you try and negotiate your way through the rounds because there'll be sometimes I'd imagine where in the first round midway through the first round you think actually this guy's quite he's pretty good this lad he's quite special I'm going to really need to pull out all the yeah, stops to get through this you do yeah you get a,
2: a guy straight away it's like I boxed Paul Ingle the first time I boxed him for three rounds I thought. Now this kid's going. He's going to stop me. This kid because he just didn't stop throwing punches. But after about when it comes about the fourth round, he must thought I ain't going to stop him there. And he seemed to go back in the gear. So it was all right. But the second time I boxed him, I um I had the flu, and he fucking he was hard. But you just grit your teeth and get on with it. You know what I mean? I don't I don't look for a way out. You know what I mean?
4: Matt, in terms of Birmingham boxing circles, it was it was Peter was very well known. Nobby Nobbs as well was was very well known. It was it was. It was a kind of a, it was kind of a bit of a band of brothers, wasn't it? The the away corner fighters.
5: Yeah, I think there was. I mean, when I turned pro in two thousand and one, um, I think Nobby would have bailed Frank Warren out of I don't know how many shows wow. of people pulling out. Yeah. You know, other opponents and like Nobby certainly had a, a percentage, a big a big percentage of the opponents. You know, in the away corner. You know, like you mentioned, Brian Coleman there, Carl Taylor. The uh, Ramsey brothers. The Ramseys, you know, so Paul Ramsey, Paul Kamal Ra- Mark and Paul Ramsey, uh, Box for Small Heath Boxing Club, the same as me. You know, they always trained out of Small Heath, so I was, you know, I was spying with Paul when I was 15. I went down to Nubby's gym in Aston with Paul uh, to get the pads off Andrew May- yeah, uh, yeah, Myers. Yeah. It was you know, good on the pads, yeah. get a workout and that. So, you know, that. Nubby was, a uh, uh, and, and, and all the fighters out of nubbies. what was it called? L- losers? Limited. cycle, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's called Losers. It, what it's what he he done, he was done the, the programme,
2: and he doesn't to set the piss, you know what I mean? He was like tongue-in-cheek, oh, Nubby oh. was. Because we was all in the gym when he said that. We was all like, no, nah, no, nah, don't start saying that. He went, fuck him. But we didn't like the name that he gave it. If you know what I mean. But he was like, Psh, tough. <laughs> he was like, I don't give a fuck. Friend, or you know, please, he didn't care. But,
5: yeah. yeah. Like I so said, Paul Wesley. Uh, I mean, who else? There was... There was Oh. Lowe's wasn't
2: that? No, that
5: but he was.
2: Um, uh, Tony Hanna. Yeah. He, he had two amateur fights, Tony Hanna. Right. He was up Argin when he was 15 years of age. He ended up fighting Damien Kelly for the British and Commonwealth Fighter. Lost on points. You know, he, was a, he beat some good kids, Tony Hanna did. Two amateur fights. You know what I mean? It's unheard of. You, you know, he got to that level. He fought world class fighters, Mexicans, South Africans. I think he only ever got stopped once towards the end of his career when he was on the slide, you know what I mean? But he was a good, tough kid, yeah. yeah I mean, poor mean, Paul
5: Ramsey called Paul Denton as a pro. I boxed him, but it was a mad one really because I... um, You know, Paul was... A Good mate of mine, really. I mean, he's 10, 10, 11, 12 years older than me, but really took me under his wing at small age. Lovely, lovely, good fight as well, as well. Really good fight. Box for you know, ABA champion, ABA right? champion, young England. Rock, Rock McCracken, I tell you, he said he thought when he was he was around the same age, and he, he said, I oh, thought Paul Paul Ramsey was going to be a professional world champion. Mm. He was like an American, like Paul Ramsey was knocking people out, yeah, yeah. in the junior ABAs. <laughs> do you know what I mean? He was talented. And I, you know, I was very much kind of looked up to Paul, took me under his wing, and that even when, when I started going out of town, clubs and that, I'd go with, go out with Paul and that. And uh, but he, um, he, he was a talented fighter, like I said. When he, so when he, he'd lost a few. He turned pro and was managed. Him and Mark were managed by Brendan Ingle, but they never moved up to Sheffield. They were just managed by them. Yeah. So they, they started taking short notice jobs abroad, lost a few, then basically thought, you know what, well, let's, yeah, we, let's a few, out yeah. of it, earn a few quid, and we're boxing with nobody. And but they still had that. See, Pete, Pete, the thing is with Peter, he never got beat up because he knew what his role was. Mm. So he didn't have, if he thought he could, this is more real If he thought he fancied it, if he thought, oh, this kid ain't that good, I can get a win here. Yeah. He'd go for it. If he didn't If he was up against, he it, was yeah, up against yeah. it, he just took up, hold, yeah. spoil, get through the round, but wouldn't get beaten up. Where Paul and Mark, still, had, you know, ABA champions were used to winning, still mm. had that probably bit more pride. And they stood there having fights when they were outmatched, yeah, outweighed, yeah. outgunned. I took a lot of stick, really. Yeah, they didn't did. Mate?
2: Yeah, yeah, they did towards the end of it. Yeah, you know, especially in the
5: end, the reflexes slowed down. Yeah, yeah. Howard Clark too. Howard
2: Clark, yeah, fighter as well at one time. Yeah, but he, I mean, he didn't end up in the best shape in the end as well. Do you know what I mean? That's what I mean. Like, I had my um, brain scan and all that, all that, the week before my last fight. after I had 295, I was packing in. You say, you say, because Nobby was knocking on the end, and I was packing in and then I went to a show up in Scotland, Tony Anna was fighting for a master's title. And I was on the top table with Tommy Gilmore and him. and Tommy's gone to me, he packed two in there, Pete? I went, yeah, I've knocked you on the head. He went, Well don't you have ten more fights? And I went, or oh, eight more fights I think it was. So I went, Why well, he went, three hundred fights? So I went, Nobody didn't know I went somewhere. I'm gonna have eight I was pissed. And I went, I'm having eight more fights and he went, no nah, you don't need to have that I so I'm having eight more fights. He said look all your faculty I said, no nah, I'm having eight and my last night fights I've done with Errol Johnson, do you know what I mean? Because I knew Errol then. Errol used to be in quite a bit. So, I, had, I think eight fights in about eight weeks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my me, me 299th fight was Lee Salber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, like I said, all my brains got, they all come back clear. I thought, have this last fight. easy fight anyway. Do you know what I mean? The kids were nothing. So, that's, that was a good note to end on. And that's the village centre as well. Just up the road.
5: And, and you know what? It's a milestone in it. I know, Lose, like, that you, you mentioned Christian later, but 300 fights, mm. that is a milestone. Yeah. And a it's ne-
4: nearly 1,700 rounds. I think it's like 1,683 rounds, I looked on your record. Well, well you, like you know anyway. better than me, it's really but like it's, anyway, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the best part of 2,000. And that—that that is a lot. And you wouldn't know, you know, to walk in here and, and see see you now, you wouldn't know. We've done a
2: few exhibitions as well. <laughs> yeah, earlier on, we you know, they used to have exhibitions on shows, That well, I suppose
5: you never had to spy, did you? <laughs> no, no not, really, no,
2: not really that much there. Look, so I used to go to the gym, say, three times a week. But if I didn't go over the gym, I'd be running every day. So I didn't really need to do sparring and all that. I mean... Spire just wearing his hair on your body I didn't need that
4: yeah he was fighting every week that's More what I didn't fighting, need it
2: yeah. didn't need it one bit you know didn't need to get, have fights in the gym save it all for the ring
4: I was talking to Louis Van Pooch at York Hall recently who mm. is prolific in the away yeah, corner yeah. he equaled the record last year he had 33 fights and, and he was telling me that it's about being sensible with the opposition that you choose to go in and go in against. He was saying how he quite fancied a, a crack at Joshua Buatsi when had just turned over, <laughs> and his and his and his guy Richard had said to him, "No, no, I think we'll, yeah. I think we'll leave him, thanks." But having said that, as you said, you did get in with Nassim, went the distance the first time, he stopped you the second time. You went in with Aselino Freitas. I mean, and that was scheduled for eight rounds as well. I mean, are there any that you look back on and you think, what was well, I the thinking? the
2: Frat- Fraters fight, right? I took that short notice, right? And I've gone down to Liverpool, and uh, Gary Fornell, who had boxed twice, I think, he was British champion, he happened to say to me, he went, you boxed that Brazilian, And I went, yeah. He said, he's a big lad. And I went, yeah. I didn't, I hadn't even saw him. He got in the ring. I really genuinely thought the wrong geezer would come to the ring. He was that big. I, I went to Nobody one, fuck off, is that him? Yeah, and then the red out record, eighteen <laughs> fights, eighteen wins, eighteen knockouts. I thought, oh man, you've took me up here. <laughs> yeah. So the first shot he hit me was a body shot. The first round he put me over. And I've done three I think after the third round, I was going, to Pull you out. And I was like, all oh. right, he was just too big and strong for me, you know what I mean? And I think he won the world title in his next fight of the fight in about eighty nine seconds, so no disgrace. It, there, he, was he was
5: massive. phrase right? So he got huge. in the ring, I was like what the fuck. He was like, he? like I bet he put like twenty pounds on Easy, the yeah, way into a yeah. fight. And he, he was a monster. Yeah, yeah. and he was a ferocious band. He, he
2: nearly threw me across. <laughs> with a body shot. Do you know, <laughs> <was like>, Fucking <laughs> hell! <laughs> and the money weren't that good, I whatever. Yeah. If you know what I mean. But uh, yeah, all experience, but
4: generally, how how does it work, or how did it work? Is it true that the the later you take a fight, the more you I would know. generally get paid? Yeah,
2: definitely. Yeah, yeah. People who say you don't, they're getting ripped off. But um, yeah, you can you can barter them up. You can. Yeah, right, extra few quid out of them, you, know what I mean? if you Especially if you're... Look, say, phone, say I'm just doing a little six twos up Dudley, right? Probably, what, get a grand, right? I'll get two grand for that. So I can bang a grand. Because you're know that kid sold 100 tickets. They've come to see him fight. He's got no one to fight there because the kid's failed the medical or something. So what does he do? Give all the ticket money back? No. So that kid will fight. He might fight for nothing. I'll probably have his purse, but... I ain't bothering about that yeah, you're, here, you're about bailing them out aren't yeah, you you're exactly doing them the favour so yeah. look, the, the show must go up on, on yeah,
5: yeah. you know the later it goes the more desperate they yeah. are the, you know because who can they get in and around that weight that'll take it in the area the boy, in the actually. area that can make, you know what I mean mm. the, the, you're literally coming down to like it's you or no one yeah so you, then you know you can pretty much name your price of course you know, can can it yeah, yeah course you
2: can yeah you don't you don't take the piece, take the piece. You know what I mean? Because like, the one that you you want them to use you again. That's why I always got used. I never took the piece. But if it's a light light though, I mean I've had loads of light nights. it's like sometimes they phone me up. Like I fight in London tonight. How much? Like, get me an extra 500 quid. Yeah, okay, we'll get you that. You know what I mean? And like I know who I was fighting. I know it weren't going to be an hard fight. He might be an IBA champion, but i saw him for it. And I know he's a banger. So I know it's just going to be a move right for me, really. You know what I
6: mean? <laughs>
3: Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review,
2: ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist. Plus news and racing. That's the Nocomoto Motorcycle Podcast for Moto One Podcast Network Studios.
7: Um, if I said to you that it, it was it's been perfect, I think I'd be lying to you. Um I really, I think I was kind of sold a dream when I came to signing my pro contract after my weight wasn't in the Olympics. It was like, you know, come with me and I'll make you a world champion. And you hear those words and you're like, I can do it, I can be a world champion. This is my second, you know, my second chance. I didn't make the team, the GB team. And you kind of go with it. And then I remember this, this is what kind of switched it for me. I turned up at the British border control for the questioning um it's like you have like a quick question thing and they said guys just so you know if you're on a ticket deal it's not recognised by the British border control and i think i was like oh okay what does that mean because i i never had the option of being signed because apparently you, i don't even know now apparently you get signed and you get some kind of a fee i have no idea what that is i was just told you know sign with me how many tickets can you sell and that's it, and we'll make you a world champion, so you have your first fight, your debut, and everyone's there, and they're watching, you sell a hell of a lot of tickets, and you're like, oh, okay, and you take a bit of money away, and it's great. You have a second fight. You still sell a lot of tickets, but then that number's slowly dropping, and you make a bit of money, but not as much as before, and then you have your third fight, and then the fourth, and then for my last three fights, I haven't made any money at all. I think the only reason I got... A bit of money for this fight is because I called up my manager and I said, "Listen, my coach is going away. He's short on cash. Can you just give him something? Can you just give me some money so I can give him some money? Because I haven't paid him for the last few camps, and you know he's given up a lot, and that's the only reason I kind of got anything at all. Otherwise, literally, I've just I have fought for love, and um, I think it was the Kirsty Bravington fight that made me realise like, whoa, it's a ten rounder. The fights are getting tougher, and I need." I think I should start being paid a little bit because if I get injured, who's going to look after me uh, if I can't pay my bills and stuff like that? So I think now it's really hitting home that I'm not where I thought I would be.
4: So just for the uninitiated, uh, and most people who listen to this are, are initiated, but just in case, just explain what a ticket deal is and what Certainly. that means just explain what a ticket deal is for, for having a fight okay. and how it works and what that means alright
7: so with the ticket deal um, you have to pay a £1,000 into the house for London I know this is what, how it works here then you have to pay for your opponent uh, female opponents are a lot more expensive so I think for me for a four rounder was about £2,000 and then for a six rounder we're looking at £2,300 and then I think a lot more for a 10 rounder so Sorry, uh, where I'd make a lot more money before. um, It's just not happening now. The opponents to expect, by the time I pay the opponent, the house, then I've had to have sold, you know, double the amount a male fighter would have to kind of, you know, sell. And I'm generally just not making any money. It's only because I love boxing and I just can't imagine right now in this period of my life without boxing that I keep doing it and I know that maybe I need to see if I can prove this theory wrong. If I keep going, someone will snap me up at some point.
4: That's really interesting because we, when we came to talk to you today, we were, we were chatting about this, and, and the one thing we said between the two of us was, what we're doing here is we're talking to an up-and-coming fighter on the rise, a talented fighter. We're not going to make this about the fact that she's female because as far as we're concerned, boxing's boxing. Uh, mm. But that's where we need to get to. But we're not there yet, are we? That's where society needs to get to across all sorts of areas, but we're not there yet. To so hear you say that it costs you twice as much or three times as much to get an opponent as it would for a male. Is that because there just aren't that many to pick from so they can set a higher price?
7: Yeah, so this, I was having, having this discussion the other day. I said, there's not a lot of females in, say, the, the boxing environment at the minute, but I said, if Matt Troom and Frank Warren were to sign more females... It would make the market more fluctuate. like you'd have more females, and then the cost you'd bring the cost down, because because the demand is so high for a journey woman, then the cost can be high, but if they started to sign more females, the more females you have, then that price would slowly come down. It's
5: like anything, isn't it? It's demand.
7: Yeah, exactly. And
5: you know when there's not that many women boxers at that level, at that weight available at that time, you're very very limited. To the amount of opponents that are available to take mm. the fight, that are worthy, etc. So they know that, and if they're taking it where they're not, they haven't had the, you know, the best preparation. It's a bit of a short notice job. They're going to name a price that's basically too good to turn down, which therefore, you know, it drives the cost of mm. everything up.
7: Yeah, and that's that's the predicament that I'm in. You know, I mean, I take my hat off to Kirsty Bravington because she took the fight, and there's, you know, there's always a risk when. Anyone takes a fight, um, and you know she she came and fought me because I'm being avoided. That's one of the other issues. I'm being avoided, or people asking obscene amounts of money for me to um, you know to fight them. Like Katie Taylor's fighting the the lady from Greece. Now we got offered that fight. Um, it was early on in my career, and they wanted us to travel to Greece. And they said there was no way they were coming to to England at all to fight. We had to go to their home territory. And then I remember just turning on. I think. Uh, Instagram or whatever, and I saw her fighting Katie Taylor, and I was like, Money talks if you don't have that big promoter <laughs> it's it's a lot harder, and I think the only reason I 'm going is because, like I said, I love it, and I'm trying to prove that you can hopefully get there and yeah go from there
4: and what was in what's interesting about that example you bring up there Taylor and uh, Linadatu Christine Leonardtu, who fights on November the second is that 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 power play is is in evidence even between those two, because at the press conference, you probably saw it, her manager, Artu said, well, one thing I don't really like about this fight, is that we're the champion, we don't get a rematch clause, Katie Taylor is the challenger, she gets a rematch clause, she's got the whole vehicle behind her, Matt, and she's earned it, don't get me wrong, she has earned it, but that, that is just how the situation is. Yeah,
5: but this is nothing new in boxing, this has been going on with Mayweather and Pacquiao, and, and way before that, you know, Pacquiao dragging Miguel Cotto down to ten stone five, you know, weakening him. You know, then the, you know Mayweather with Canelo getting the fight down at one was it one fifty one and a half or one fifty two and a half? You know, then there's a rehydration clause. All these things, mm-hmm. it's um, you know, you could say it's an abuse of power. But then if you're the man, they say he he who pays the piper calls the tune. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. it, you know, and that's really what it comes down to. And it's the bottom line. It's not fair, but it's just the way it is. And uh, you know. <laughs> I'm just listening to Shirelli and I'm thinking, you know, the saying, "It's tough at the top," and it is tough at the top. Mm. But let me tell you, it's tough at the bottom too, for different reasons. You know, when you're when you're working full time, you know, and you, you're you're trying to get fights, and you're trying to stay in shape, and it's difficult. You know, and you, you're not you're not you haven't got a big promoter behind you, haven't got any television money backing, and you're just waiting for the phone to ring. And especially, and then you can be a victim of your own success because if you're a good fighter but you're not bringing any money to the table or any belts, you're high risk, low reward. You just, mm. can you just be frozen out. Yeah. It's, I mean, I love boxing. I love it as a, as a sport. And, and, I, and I love the business side too. I am intrigued. And, and the chaos, I think, makes it so intriguing. Mm. But sometimes as well, you see certain people and you hear their stories. And your heart goes out to them because it's not fair. It's not a fair business, mm. uh, boxing.
7: Yeah. I mean it's interesting because when you're an amateur, you can't avoid anyone. You got the championships. You're either in them and you're not no one can can kind of dictate anything. Who the per, you know, the people that dictate is England boxing. You know, and, and that's the one thing I'd say I miss. You know, you go to the world championships and you just fight whoever's in front of you, or you go to any tournaments, you just and that's the one thing I miss, the the, the competitiveness. And I think once again, I think Because I've been in this a little while now, I'm kind of literally learning on the job. And, you know, one of the things I'm doing now is networking, you know. You know, the the kind of background I was from was don't ask for help, you know. We don't ask for help, we we do it ourselves. But I've come to the point where I'm asking anyone and anybody who can help me. You know, uh, my friend gave me this verification badge because I know maybe if I get verified on Instagram or Twitter, that just might be enough to get, you know you know, sponsorship from a big brand because it's changed. Everything's on Instagram. So if I don't have a certain amount of followers, you know, Nike won't come to me at all.
5: I mean, I've I've said this to you so many times, Andy. It's so crucial in professional boxing that you're you're on the right ship with the right Mm -hmm. people steering it because doors can be closed or doors can be open depending on who's batting for you. Mm -hmm. If you're not with someone that, A, knows what they're doing, are connected you know can make the stuff happen open the mm-hmm. doors you know you may be the best fighter in the world but if, you, if, if you've got you know a B, C, a C level D level manager, promoter looking out for you, you, you the years can just pass you by mm-hmm. and it's um, it's crucial and, but it, and, it's, but, and at the same time it's just difficult because you're a young fighter you're coming out of the amateurs who do you listen to there's that many sharks out there that many cowboys mm-hmm. trying to get into boxing smooth talkers like you said can sell you the dream I remember, Buddy McGirt. I mean, me and my brother Shane were saying to Buddy, Buddy, why, why do all these fighters sign with Don King, man? When they, when he's you know, his reputation is obvious. To go, man, he can sell you the dream. You know what I mean? That's it. He can sell you the dream. And actually, Don King was someone that probably could deliver things as well. But obviously, whatever other stuff went with him. But even without going into America, just in this country, you know, there's. It's usually quite common sense. You know, you look at boxing and you look at the, who's boxing on television, you're either with Matt Troom on Sky or with Frank Warren mm. on BT. Then there's a few guys that work closely with Frank or a few guys that work closely with it. And you can see them because they're in the corner with certain guys that are fighting on, on these television shows. But if you're going then, if you're signing with some guy that's, yeah, he's a bit of a smooth talker, but what's he really done? Yeah. What has he delivered for anyone? And then, but you know, if you're naive and you listen to him and he, he does sell you the dream and you do sign, and all of a sudden, you know, you're a year down the line, two years down the line, nothing's really happened for you, but they're promising you, oh, listen, I'm working on it, I waiting on a call, I've spoke to him, he's getting back to me next week, and you just kept in promised land and yeah. it's lip service. Do next you, thing you know, it years are passing do you know what you by.
7: It is? It's the fact that in the amateurs, you looked after so well. So you have your club and your club pushes you and your club promotes you, and then all of a sudden, you come to the pros and that's. You know, you don't have them anymore. You don't have that structure. And then you're kind of left to, to fend for, you know, for yourself. And it's like, it's all about your education and the knowledge you have. And I, I posted on Twitter the other day, before any of you guys are thinking about turning pro, start asking questions, speak to people, ask them about their experiences, who to stay away from, who to kind of go with, whose attention to get, you know, maybe take your time and, and, and do it that way. And that's that's the advice I'd give to any person or thinking about you know being a professional i think because it's now i'm i'm realizing that i did in hindsight which is great if i could have held off i would have if i could have made sure i was in the right place and pester eddie hearn then i would have and this is one of the reasons why i'm working in bxr not only are they they've they've you know they appreciate me and they think i'm talented. You know they're, they're, you know they're looking after me financially. They're giving me the flexibility I need to train now. And like you said, Eddie Hearn comes here for press conferences, for match room. You know he was here the other day and I was training. But it's funny. um, I'm I'm doing this thing. I don't want to go into too much detail because you'll see it soon. But it's pretty much like writing a letter to Eddie Hearn saying you see him and you really want to go up to him on the inside. I, I feel like going up to him, going, hey, look, look what I've done, like. Why are you not signing me? What do I need to do? Tell me, you know? Um, but in, real, in realness, I, I, I see him and, you know, I just kind of curl into a ball. And I just feel like I don't want to be rejected. I don't want him to tell me I'm not good enough because I think coming from him, that would really get to me
4: it's like something out of a film this in a way isn't it because somebody it's like a western you know the western where you have somebody who nobody knows who comes yeah. into town there's no information on him no background which this is before every fight was on YouTube and yeah. as you said Matt because he had no amateur career nobody would know anything about him no. and there would have been people in boxing looking at these results just thinking alright okay so what so what happened there and opponent's mm-hmm. Walking into the ring with him, probably looking at him and thinking, "Okay, yeah, good. He's making his debut. I'm seven and zero. This is exactly as it should be." And then, boom! A couple yeah. of rounds later, it's it's all it's all over. But but he talks there about being put in with a seven and zero fighter on his debut who was a stone yeah. heavier than him. His manager should never have allowed that yeah. to happen.
3: New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits.
5: cello was badly managed, you know. what I mean, he, he you know, he was just slung in, yeah. you know. And uh, I think if he'd have been managed differently, he probably could have done a lot more. You know, he was, um, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely you he know, he, uh, serious power, but yeah. I think he learned. As as he went, really, yeah, and probably never. And I, and then what happened was he was probably in a position where. You know he needed to kind of step back. Really, he need, he, he needed to take a couple of steps back yeah. in order to move forward properly, yeah. and he needed to step back and, and and get some foundations, get some mm. schooling, learn. You know, but, but then because of his the knockout wins, he was kind of up on a level already. So it was a difficult no. situation, I suppose. And he was coming from somewhere like Peterborough, where they don't really do a lot of boxing. No, that's they, it. weren't going to sell tickets in. Birmingham yeah. or London, really. So right. it's like, you know, he, he fell into that category, really. Where, it was like, wh- where do you go with this yeah. kid? Yeah. What do you do with him, you know, without uh, backing off TV or a promoter that's prepared to invest in you? Yeah. Where, where do you go? He's not selling tickets, really, no. outside of Peterborough. Yeah. We're not, people aren't doing shows in Peterborough. And he's also, <laughs> no one wants to fight him, you know, for that, for that, the small money that are going around on those shows. Yeah. You know, he was a dangerous opponent that could really, you know, bang yeah. hard. So it was, it, it was, uh, it was, um, it was an unenvious job, really. Because to, to, even now, looking back, I'm thinking, well, what would you have done differently? How would you have managed him? How would you have steered him? And it, It's difficult because once you've got a couple of losses on your record, yeah. but you, 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 you people know you're a hard fight. You've got a couple yeah. of losses, but you've also got a couple of big wins. Yes. So it's like, you know, someone moving That's forward fun. then, they're they going kind of to want a lot of money to fight you, unless you're a big promoter that really believes in yeah. you and prepared to invest. Yeah. It's difficult to, to manoeuvre you forward.
4: Mm. So what, what were those... Those early days when, when you got the win in, in, on, on debut, I mean, how how was the feeling? Because you'd have walked in there not having sold a single ticket because you didn't have to, yeah. everybody expecting you to get cleaned yeah. out, yeah. and all of a sudden, you know, people's jaws must have dropped when they see this kid win, and not just win, because right from the start, you just had this ridiculous yeah. punching power. I mean, the change in the room must have been crazy.
6: I expected to win, even though he was 7-0, stone heaven in me former kickboxer my champion. I went in knowing I was going to beat this kid no matter, I, I didn't care that's the mentality I had I didn't care who he was and what he had done so for me it wasn't a shock it was something I was, like, I was expected to do and I think because going from street fighting and knocking everybody out straight in the streets I thought man yeah, everyone was, like raving about it I'm thinking what's, what's, the, what's the big, big problem what's the big deal and I, 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 I knew I was going to do that I knew I was going to do it I you was know, everyone was raving about it but I'm it like that's what I was expected
4: to do. What did you get paid for that first fight?
6: £800, pound, I think, or something like that. Some, some, you know, that's, that's what they said I was going to get paid but at the time. I don't know what my manager you know, what he would have done. You know, he, I might have got £2,000. My manager might have gave me 800
4: quid. So that's how I felt for that manager through, through that. So in terms of your boxing education, how did that progress as you turned professional? Because by that stage... I'd imagine you were all sti- also still working yeah. as well as boxing professionally. But what we were talking about with John Pegg was that until you got to Eastside, mm-hmm. nobody had really shown you anything. So at what point did you start to actually learn about boxing? Even for me, it was like
6: when I got offered to spar like people like Matlin and that. I thought like, I jumped at the chance because it was a great experience for me. I didn't box amateur. I got off to fight Matthew, Matthew Barney. In 24 hours' notice, so, yeah, he got offered to fight Tony Oki for WU world title. Well, yeah, I was yeah, I spy him. I got off to um, spar and Catley. Went off to went off to um, to Bristol, going to spar again, Catley, and sleep on, on the gym floor for like two or three days. These these these, these um, spars, um, I learnt a lot from, which developed me as a fighter. Um, if I didn't have them spars, probably wouldn't have been the fighter I was. Um, but I, I just knew I could, I, knew I, could, I knew I could just fight. You know, I knew you know. Had that will and that desire, you know. I wasn't the most skillful of fighters, but I knew I was. Um,
4: I wanted it a lot. I wanted it, you know. I knew had the power as well. With that kind of power, again, it was something that John was describing. That mm. people would come to the gym and and uh, he might say to them, you know, look, Cello hits hard, mm. just so you know, yeah. kind of thing. Because it's just sparring, we're working, you know. I'm not trying to pull a number on you here, yeah. but he hits hard, and they would say yeah okay mate I, yeah. I've been hit hard before yeah. and then as soon as you land that first one all of a sudden it's, he yeah. said it's like getting an electric shock they're just thinking whoa what what happened there and you said exactly the same thing that the yeah. first time he landed on you Matt when you, when you sparred I mean it must be some kind of feeling to know that you have that at your disposal oh, but yeah. al- also when you know that the other person has no idea no, no that's right it's like front career, I think I had like 14, 15 I'll catch
6: my own career People say, oh, how would you do that? I'm like, I don't know. It happened, it happened so naturally, you know what I mean? So when I was knocking guys out and hurting people, I was like, I didn't mean to do it. And that is when, you know, when I tried to knock guys out, it never happened. When I was knocking guys out without meaning to do it, and I knew I had that natural power. Um, I knew I always had that. But I never was the most skillful as fighters, because I never got taught anything. No-one taught me to throw a jab. No-one taught me to move left, right, forward and back. No one, no one taught me to fight on the inside no one taught me anything No, I, I trained in a boxing gym hit a bag a few times and spar some people if I could uh, and hit and, and get some guys to give me some pads and that was it never had you know let's go up there and see um, Matlin with, with the Gallaghers you know and spar and I, I used to see him in the ring talking chatting and working out game plans I never had any of that none of that whatsoever and it's not me just trying to make it up I didn't have any of that you know I, people say to me you know, who's the best who's the best fighter you've trained alongside I say to them there ain't any so I've trained train myself I, I've always trained by myself you know I always believe in success breeds success you know when you see the Gallagher gyms and you know seeing all the fighters train alongside each other you know seeing them you know if I had that you know I would have been, been in my element you know seeing them all work off working off each other i never had any of that you know hitting a bag I'm on my own it gets hard Push a bit more, but you've got someone working alongside you. Push that extra harder. It like, makes you want to push that a bit harder. Having regular sparring partners, regular sparring week in, week out. I have none of that. You know, no one hit me. You know, no one give me any game plans. give me some pads. You know, a trainer, bar me every day. I have none of that. You know, to get what I got, where I got. You know, I'm happy. I'm, I'm
4: happy with what I've achieved. You should be. I mean, it's, it's just its just so unusual. But when you talk about the sparring trips, I mean, obviously that was, that's key in the development, isn't it, of, yeah. of, of any young fighter, Matt? And I've heard from time to time from various people that they'd offered sparring to a young fighter, and the young fighter decide, paid sparring, and the young fighter decided that they didn't really want it, and it raised a few eyebrows. The point I'm getting at here is that possibly it's the case sometimes now that... The Young fighters avoid that kind of heavy work that you probably need to put in I- in the early stages.
5: Yeah, I mean, sparring someone like Cello or someone like you know Pat Maxwell, I sparred hundreds of rounds with yeah. Pat when I turned pro No, Pat was a guy that would I me mean, come down to Birmingham on training, I think it was Murray, mm. my third, no, third, fourth, I think fourth, fifth fight. I think I was three and out at the time. And he come down and sparred me. And I remember, you know, I never heard of him in the amateurs or anything like that. But he was up at Billy Graham's, and I was like, yeah, yeah he, had a, he had a good record. I think he was undefeated and that, and a few knockouts. But he come down and sparred. We did four rounds. And I remember thinking, what the hell was that? Yeah. It was like I just had a straightener for 15 <laughs> minutes. It God. was like literally do or die war. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, in my, head, I thought, in my plan going in, I thought, well, I'll spar four rounds, I'll jump out, do a couple on the back, skip. <laughs> After yeah. the four rounds, I was done. You know, yeah, when that yeah. lactic acid has just built yeah, up, yeah. And you yeah. like it was that was finished. It was like there was nothing. I just about had enough energy to get in the shower and wash myself. <laughs> you know, it was an absolute straightener for yeah. four rounds, and that was like that. But that was the way Pat used to spar. Yeah. I was sparred Pat hundreds of rounds, and it was the same thing. That Pat, that's how Pat sparred. He'd, you know, mm. and Pat, Pat was one of them. So much talent, really, and a lot of ability. Very big puncher, mm. good shit You know, he was he'd stick it on you. And he'd just go to war. And it was like, but you know what? Those spars with Pat, and even with the, the spas with cello, I, I remember thinking, uh, you, you know, their name came up as you were struggling for sparring. Uh, yeah. You know, Brian, I go, well, look, I can get Pat Maxwell or, or, or cello. You'd be thinking, oh, you yeah. know, because you, know, yeah. be yeah. yeah, you know it's going to be an hellacious spa. You know, it's going to be some bombs thrown <laughs> you know but those, those were the spars that made me sharp yeah those were the those were the those were the sparring partners yeah. that brought the best out in me yeah you know when I was pointing yeah. someone that ran a puncher really they'd yeah. hit me with the kitchen sink yeah I couldn't get out of the way of them because yeah. I just dropped that level because I had yeah. no fear but we're talking about this a lot lately yeah because you know, of the Joshua Ruiz mm. yeah. But I didn't have the fear in my belly I, you know, I had a pretty good chin and I was you know a pretty tough guy so mm. Yeah, I'll take a few. I don't care. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, to, yeah. But guys like Cello and Pat who could take your head off, mm. I didn't want to take a few off them. No. So i was sharp. Yeah. And they made—they really, you know—it's not like sharpening the knife. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, sparring guys like Cello and Pat, they sharp. They made yeah. me razor sharp. Yeah. Where when I was boxing guys, that there was no feedback. that couldn't punch. I didn't get that sharp. If anything, sometimes I got—I got, I got blunter. Yeah. I'd go down and get bad habits. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, they're the sort of guys like I knew. Even though I didn't want to spar them because of how hard, how hard they hit and that, I knew that it was better for me mm. to do it. You know, it's like it's like doing things like I don't really want to go to the track mm. and do sprints because you're going through some pain. Yeah, yeah But yeah. I know if I do the track yeah. and I do run running, that's going to take me to another level. Yeah. And um, mm. you know, it's one of those things that you don't want to do, but sometimes the things you don't want to do, it's the most they're the most important things or, to make yeah. sure you do do, yeah. and hard sparring and there's a line by the way there's no point in having crash band wallop all the time and leaving it in the gym yeah. you know I think you had a lot of heavy sparring yeah, cello yeah, that yeah, I, right, I think yeah. was probably yeah, not right. good for you, you know, right, I think it probably wasn't good for you and, but again I think you didn't have anyone over you saying cello swerve that like yeah, really right. So, right. So, the, some of the first few spars you came and had with me was probably great for you like yeah. you said you learnt about you know, how much I, how I was fainting yeah. and training you without even doing anything yeah. and stuff like that but I remember some of them spas i had with you at the end where i gave you some terrible stuff and did. like that wasn't good for you that no, was bad right. for you it was yeah. good for me because it was you the threat yeah. of you was making me sharp but really they were they were pretty one-sided beat downs. yeah and yeah you know if someone if i was money you knew i'd be saying you're not going back there for that yeah do you know what i mean but yeah. I, I i said it to andy before so was one of those you know, careers that, you know he never really had anyone yeah. looking out for him you know what i mean because The last thing a brave fighter needs is a brave trainer you know and that goes for training as well as we we talk about it in terms of pulling fighters out of the fights that you know there's no point in carrying on in you know yeah yeah in in picking the fights being a manager thinking you know it's good to go and get some sparring but then there comes a line you know i went out to the wild card and i spied out there and it's literally throw everyone in and whoever comes out on top is the strongest and they're going to be world (laughs) champions you know, it's everyone's just having a fight. Wow. With 16 ounce gloves on, it's a fight every single day. Now, a certain amount of that is good. Yeah. But too much of it is very, <laughs> bad, very bad. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a fine. I think you know, you want a dress for her. There's a there's a line, there's a fine line between being battle hardened mm. and, and leaving it in the gym. Yeah. You know a lot. We're sitting across the table. Yeah. Here, I think you left an awful lot in the gym yeah, you yeah. took a you, you put a lot of miles on the yeah, clock yeah, yeah. in, in the hard gym. sparring yeah. sessions which it's unnecessary you know what i mean you save that for the five yeah. one or two here and there definitely yeah you know it's good to yeah, push yeah. yourself and sometimes get you're going to come out out on the uh you know not, not the wrong end but you're going to yeah. you know you're going to you're going to get a bit of a shellacking yeah. we've all had them yeah yeah but and up. you learn from it but you don't want to be having hard spar after hard spar after hard spar because you yeah. know they're, they're like a hard fight. There's yeah. only so many of them in you. Yeah.
4: But you did have some great nights. You had plenty of great nights. Two oh. th- two things that spring to mind particularly. You, you could just take us through your favorites. But but Prize Fighter was a great thing for you because yeah. that sprint format suited oh, you. Me down to the ground. And of course if social media was then what it is now, yeah. I think I think that would have suited you down to the ground because you could have got on there and you could have caught Everyone out that everybody would have known, and but people also, wouldn't have engaged, people wouldn't have tweeted back. I'm yeah. telling you, because they just said, Don't give it oxygen, yeah. just don't
5: comment, and it'll yeah. blow out. But if you start getting into it, then you're going to have to it yeah, yeah, People yeah. are going to put it on you. I'm yeah. telling you, he was the king of the Who Needs Him club in yeah. Britain because he was a massive, massive puncher, but he had been stopped and lost here yeah. and there to whoever, whoever. So he's yeah. like, Whoa, you don't want to fight him. So anyone that had a decent manager behind them wouldn't have been fighting cello. If I was managing a kid, like I said, and he was a middleweight, and I thought this kid had talent, there's not a chance he'd have been fighting cello. Sparger, definitely. I'd been bringing him down every now and then to spar him to sharpen him up. You know what I mean? But uh, there's not a chance if I had a a middleweight prospect would he have been fighting cello. And and he's there's he's another he's thing. Get that Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> there's
4: another thing which would have gone viral. It's the double knockdown against, yeah, double against down, Paul yeah. Samuels. If that had happened yeah. now, that would be that would be over Twitter worldwide like, in in a matter yeah. of in a matter of uh, of, of seconds.
6: There's so many hits on you know, on the old YouTube. Like I mean, a double knockdown. But yeah, I've had so many good memories. You know, just. With my, my win for the British title, in Milan knocking Sam Walton out in the second round, that got voted the second best knockout of 2008.
5: Was your was your fight the double
6: knockdown? Double knockdown. Who yeah. was that against? Uh, Paul Samuels Paul Samuels Paul Samuel. Samu- yeah. 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 What a what a highlight reel! <laughs> big 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 puncher. He was big puncher, massive puncher, and then that got voted fight of the year, British fight of the year. That did me and Paul Samuel's. Um, even my, my, my last title fight win against um, Leon McKenzie, you know. Everyone's was just raving about that, how, how, how fantastic that fight was, you know. And that was a fight that I only got given three and a half weeks' notice. Um, they didn't pay me. I had, to, I had to sell tickets in order to pay myself. It's like, you know, it's like, like me asking someone to build an extension in my house and then saying, oh, boy, I'm not paying you. It's like, Hold on a minute. You want me? But you want me to pay myself? How does that work out? So I, knew the, I knew the game inside out, so I knew what it was all about. So I went, okay, okay, no problem. And I took the fight. And I, you know, I did sell quite a few tickets for, for that fight. I'm glad I did, because I ended up uh, knocking him out and winning, winning the seven-year-old title. But, you know, I was up against it everywhere. In the ring, with the referees. When I fought um, Ricardo Sam, like that Matney mentioned earlier. You know, he's a childish referee. He had a hold of my hand. me lift my hand up. He dropped it. Went over to Ricardo Sam lifted his hand up. So I was up against it in every way. Everywhere.
4: I remember Barry Jones saying to me a few well, recently a few weeks ago, that he he only went full time when he I think became world champion or around that time when he said it was the worst thing he ever did because when he was working as well it just it just all made a lot more kind of sense to him because that's what he'd always done. Um, and somebody else saying to me recently that exactly what you're just saying, that, that when you finish, if you've had a job before, then going back to one isn't that, isn't that hard but how, how, how difficult was it finishing because Matt just touched on it there and it's, it doesn't matter what level you've been at it's, mm. this is something you've been doing which very very few people know what that's like to be in there the pure adrenaline of it's probably unlike any other sport getting your hand raised must be an incredible oh. an incredible feeling so how yeah. do you what's it like when that's over that's, that's. Don't know, well, that, for me it, never, it was never really over I was thought
5: it was going to go back to it so it just slowly over the years become not boxing again so it was, wasn't a wasn't a gradual it uh, wasn't a like, I you've, that's it you're that finished you're finished I just said yeah I'm going to go back I'm going to go back, back I never went back so it just slowly drifted away from it that so
4: okay so for in me in your mind you're still not officially retired no no <laughs> I had a charity fight three years ago I'll have another one soon
1: I think with me it was when I had my kids when they were, you know I thought I got to that stage where i remember my last fight i remember going getting called up to the my last fight and then um, i didn't really want to fight i had that inmate me like it was like i oh, don't want to fight today don't feel like it but i went for and i came out after i sat there i remember sitting in the chamber thinking kids can't do this anymore gotta look after my kids now because maybe one fight i might not come out because I was getting older and i think, thinking... And the kids are getting... They all get... As you say, they're all like concentrating, not going to work. That's their life, the boxing. You know what I mean? And I just thought, that's enough. I remember going in the gym. I think I think hit the bad twice. And I said to Nabe, that's it, enough, done. And he went, no, you can't leave. <laughs> I'm finished
0: now, not doing it anymore. And that was it then. Called it a day. I think... With me, it's, um, I was I was, I was stopped from boxing. The British Boxing Board wouldn't let me uh, fight again, but they the kind of done me a favour, I think, because when do you stop? You know, you always have that that hunger and that that um, you see you see someone in the ring and you're twitching and you you're moving your head just like you're in the ring yourself, you know. And, um, but I uh, I always. I always said, when I was younger, oh, I'll, I'll be finished by the time I'm 30, 33, something like that. But I went on to I was 36. I had my last fight when I was 36. So I really do feel they have done me a favour by um, not letting me carry on. I had an injury, and what had happened, um, I was supposed to, I, spar- I fought uh, some African guy beat him, and then uh, I'd done my shoulder. But then they phoned me um, for Amir Khan. And uh, I was got it, absolutely got it. <clears throat> and uh, but it was only giving me a week, no, no, sorry, it was giving me a week's notice. But then um, I, t- I said no, I'm not going to do it. And then I had that fight after, sorry. Then I done my shoulder, and then they phoned me again and give me five weeks' notice this time. And then I was like, mm, yeah, I'd like to do, but I've got a bad shoulder Cause I really thought uh, I could beat him. If you know Khan, you know if you catch him yeah. you yeah, he know he got a chance, can, yeah, yeah, got a chance, chance very again. fast yeah. but got chance and that's right and um after that I never got the uh, the chance to fight again yeah i mean what was that fight when I, mean, I think was
5: it was it when robert fought eastman when your buckstar alfred cote and your boots were slipping yeah, that's right yeah was that, that yeah, fight that's right that was the i was in the corner weren't i with uh, oh, no, was it? no it wasn't
0: that fight it was a Hatton fight it was a Hatton fight that was Hatton was um on the I was on the card of Hatton then. Was it? Yeah.
5: was that was that Wembley Conference Centre, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Because I remember I was giving Don a hand in the corner yeah. and your boots were slipping.
0: But I remember seeing
1: that. Fight. But you know what the you, yeah.
0: you know what they've done to me in that, that fight? Um a lot of people don't really know. I trained for the fight, I was fit, it was all good, and then the on the, the day before they said you're not fighting now. So I'm like alright then yeah you know what it's like I've, I'd starved myself for like so many weeks I went I just set, put loads of food drink in my belly I put 7 pound on and then I got the call a couple of hours later after I ate and everything this is your fighting there so I would go back in the gym and take 7 pound off <clears throat> so when I went <clears throat> when I had the fight as soon as I stepped in the ring and I, I threw my first punch I just thought there's nothing there. I just knew it. <clears throat> you were slipping as well. Do you remember That's the right, boots? Yeah, I was. I yeah, the boots. I think I had to
5: run back to the changing room get, get your trainers. trainers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> come
5: to the ring with them, and then between the round, me and Dan were pulling your boots off, I wasn't doing it trainers. <laughs> yeah. on. I mean, you couldn't put them on. You got two gloves on. You got a minute to do this. It was mad. I remember them on the telly, he was saying it and everything. Yeah. I was That's about it. eighteen yeah. or whatever I was then. Yeah, fucking mad. <laughs>
4: But when you look back on it all now, there's, there, are so many, there are so many strange things that can happen in, in, in boxing amateur or, or professional. And you're, you're still kind of seeing them every week, really, taking fighters yeah. up and down the country. <clears throat> I mean, what... God, there'll probably be quite a few, but, but when, you, when you look back at it all, what are the moments that kind of stand out for you? Whether they're personal, whether they're kind of highs, lows, whether they're pure comedy gold... Just not love to see my lads getting a win, especially away. I had a lad called Ben Fields. I took him on
1: the road. And he won seven fights. Obviously, you're going to interview him in a few weeks. He had seven fights, seven wins over seven
0: weekends over different, all unbeaten lads away from home. That's, that's the, the thing you like, them kind of things like that. Or you're just coming away safe and not getting, not getting hurt. I've done six,
4: six rounds. they've got a mark on the face and they've been paid. That's, that's nice. Just, just on that, is, is that something... To what extent Do you worry about Getting hurt In the boxing ring Is, is it uh, You can't think about it too much Or you'd never go in there You don't think about, about it about At
0: it. all You, just nah. with it. you mm. don't
1: think about it At all You just think I'm just want to go in there And beat the guy
5: Your eye can, I can be cut And split you. And you, you, the ref's going I'm going to call it. No I'm fine I'm fine I still want to fight
1: You don't care
4: but not, not even as you get a bit older, not even when you find yourselves in situations where you've had to take a load of weight off late on and you know that that's, you know, that's a no. little bit of a dangerous thing to do. I think
1: you, d- you do, when you know you've got to lose weight, you, it's always there in the back of your mind, you know, I think, oh God, how am I going to do these rounds? I'm, you know, I'm going to get tired eventually and especially if you're going to fight a guy that's probably up there, you know what I mean? You, you know you're gonna nothing's gonna be you're gonna have nothing left halfway through the fight. You know what I mean. So in your head you going to think I'm gonna get hurt tonight, but you just go in there and defend yourself but at all times, aren't
0: you? I used to think, um, I always thought I'd, I could get hurt, but you never thought I'd never think I'm gonna get killed tonight or you know or nothing like that. I never thought nothing like that would ever happen. But it's only when I, I started, um, I noticed I was getting older. Uh, the punches were coming towards me, I could see them, but I couldn't move, um, uh, and I'll have a fight and I'd think, well, I could have done better than that, I could have beat this guy, but I ended up getting beat by someone that um, really, I, sh- I felt I felt like I could have beat.
8: And uh, you go to a boxing club, I walked in there, and that's your reaction, is all the other kids are looking you up and down, seeing who these new lot are walking in through the door. And then um, I think we've done a little bit of a warm up and things together. And then um, next thing you know, I'm sparring. And I got into the ring. Didn't realize there's a bit of an etiquette with sparring where the person that's been doing it a little bit longer sort of takes it easy with a beginner. Unless they take liberties, then he's going to let you know. And then I got in the ring and my first person I ever sparred was a fellow called Wayne Alexander. And uh, he come up to me.
4: Jesus Christ, that's, <laughs> that's heavy work. Yeah. A
5: baptism of fire, I think yeah. they call that.
8: Just not Nice and relaxed, walked up to me. and My first reaction was, hit him as hard as I could. And I hit him, he staggered back. But then he looked at me as if to say, you're going to get it now. And by the end of the round, I was in the corner with my knee up. And he had, I had been from every punch that was coming my way. But I was there for a bit. I had one coach, which was John Niverson. Then the next coach was a fellow called Fred Buttook. Um, and then my final coach is a fellow called Stuart Good he lived on the same estate as me growing up he basically used to box for this place the Fitzroy Lodge or his whole family did and then um, I think he what used to happen here was when you become an amateur you decided to turn professional you didn't really get involved with the club anymore you sort of make a guide you off into the right direction then you'll go and box for whoever you're going to go and box for but most of the pros that have gone on have never really come back I'd never been involved in boxing, so he decided to come to Croydon because I was only half-decent one there, looked after me. Got me thinking about boxing, got me into boxing. Next thing you know, Mix asked him to come down here as being a coach and then he came down here. And that's how I ended up here when I was about 19 years old.
4: And what were your first impressions of this place when you walked through the door? Because as I say, it's been here since since 1946. It's, it's a very established place club now but there's always that feeling of slight nervousness when when you push the door any door whatever yeah. it may be for the for the first time and, and and that's why you know what it feels like for everybody else who comes comes in here was there any kind of you'd been boxing already but was there any kind of trepidation I mean even you must have had this when you first started boxing
5: yeah definitely I remember the first time walked, so when you were sitting the scene there about one of the archways or above a pub and I had to laugh because small Boxing club when I was, but they've moved now. But back then they're on Faisley Street in Digbeth, which would have been very much peak blind the territory, as seen on the film. But I remember going up the stairs. It was, I mean, it was a real worn out derelict type building um, above a calf You know, walked up the steps, and it was like you know you could hear the music banging before you got to the door, and then you'd open the door, which was kind of midway in the gym. So like when you opened the door and you walked in. You were in the middle of the gym. Everyone was looking at you. To the right was the ring, which was backed up against that wall. And then, you know, to to the left, and there were some changing rooms. But um, it was, you know, it was. I mean, it was as rough and ready as you come. There was no high-tech equipment, nothing like that. There was a few old photos, pictures, fight posters on the wall. There were six tatty old bags and a a ring. You know, good ring, big high ring, and and tunes blaring. Loads of boxes in there very much uh, us against the world atmosphere yeah. and uh you know it was well, there were some good fighters there you know we, like, we mentioned before we started speaking on this mark uh, mark and paul ramsey they were good ABA uh, champions yeah. both turned pro ended up being journeymen but you know when they turned pro they, they were good prospects and uh you know both of them fought ricky hatton i think mark fought him twice uh and, and probably probably who's who of prospects around that time but um yeah, I think, I think the, the time when you walk in the door for the first time, I think that's, that's a moment you never forget.
4: So what was it about this place that, that means that you're still here now?
8: It's the people. I think it's the people that... Uh, you, I don't think you realise what a coach does for you or what the people involved in the boxing, whether it's the, your, your, your gym mates, whether it's the people who just ran the club, the people that you're boxing against, it's, it's, it's weird, you get a nice, you get a relationship with them, where um, I don't think I've ever fallen out with with any boxer that I've boxed or anything like that. Become friends with them, got a lot of mutual respect. Anyone that's basically got in the ring and boxed, you've got to give them 100% mutual respect. But um, yeah, it's just like when I first came here, it was, uh, I used to come here, but the first time I came in through the door, Mick sort of off, Mick knew me anyway, but didn't really know me. But then when Mick, so at the end of the day, when Mick did he did pass away, Mick sort of knew me really when I first started boxing, because he was a matchmaker, and he knew about us. And like uh, Bill, Bill when he was there. Didn't really know Bill Weaver. But then the amount of time that you're here, it's like, I've had the best times of my life down this place. And it's basically made me who I am today, so. I mean, pr- professional boxing, you know, the glamour
5: and the television and the money and everything but I think I, I know a lot of fighters and, and I've had great professional careers their funest days really and their funnest memories with the old amateur clubs and it, it's almost like um, an extended family really a lot of the time and, um, and I think I think there's something we, you know we're talking about opening the door you said about the first bar with Wayne Alexander you're going in there you're out your deck, these kids. More experience, it's going to take you a bit like first, but you're maybe aggressive, so you stick it on him. You know, you get a bit of a clumping, but you know, it's like having your first fight then as an amateur, or you're yeah. going into the championships. Or the, it's building character all the yeah. time because you're facing fears all the time, and, you're, going and, you're, and you're, you're facing them, and you're dealing with them, and you're getting past yeah. them, and you're having your dis, you know, you lose your first fight, you're broken you come back. It's, yeah. I, I think, I think amateur boxing, um, especially because you're a kid and you're going through it, 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 it really. Instill something steely in yeah. your character, and, and whether you go on and become an international, and professional fighter, and have a great career, or, or not, I think it's something that really kind of—it's it, an asset to you for the rest of your life. And whatever yeah. road you go down after that,
4: Yeah. was it something you needed at that point in your life? Did you did you need that kind of that discipline and that 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 regime? Where, or if where, you hadn't had it, could there yeah. have been problems?
8: I'd have been totally different. I'd have been not. I definitely like, it's like now if I'd if, if I'd have turned professional, it might have worked for me, it might not have worked for me. so you sit down and think about now, if I it did turn pro, everyone want it's like me, I had all the posters up in my bedroom, I wanna be like that fella there, all the Sugar Ray lenners, Marvin Aglers, that's what I wanna be like. At the time Tyson was my favourite favourite fighter and I was like, yeah, I wanna be like him and do whatever. But, um The crowd, the sort of crowd that I'm not around with, it's like, out of all my mates, they're still up to no good now. Whereas I'm not. I've been structured, led down a path where I know what's right, what's wrong. I know not to do this, not to do that. It's like going back to Mick, when when I first met Mick, Mick Mick used to be immaculately dressed. And uh, he used to be like a top bloke, top, top geezer. And I used to be in the gym some days. And I used to watch all these people come in. I'd be like reading a book about a South London gangster or someone this, someone that. They'll come into the gym. And they'll come into the gym and I'll go, oh, wow. But the amount of respect that they give me, and then I realise after a while, you, you don't need to do anything to get that respect because the amount of time that you give up and the amount of energy that you give up, that's where you got his respect from.
4: I, th- I think that's... That's really key, isn't it? Because I'm just reading a book at, uh, at the minute by, by Don McRae, his latest one in, in uh, Sunshine and in Shadow, and it talks about how Jerry Storey in Belfast managed to yeah. um, unite both religions through through boxing, or rather he was allowed to coach both religions, and it wasn't, it wasn't a problem for him. And And he said the reason was is that violent men, because we're talking about terrorists generally, uh, in that particular instance, they they respect hardship, and they respect sports where a lot is is asked of you, and, and that's that's certainly the case with with, with boxing. And, and and as you say, that's there is that element of street cred to it. But but that might be why you originally come, but then when you get here, you realise that it's not. It's, it's not all about knocking people out like Tyson. There's, there's a lot of hard work to be done.
8: So, I've been in this gym one, some days where I've had some of the highest people in society, some of the worst people in society, some of the top criminals in London, and loads of old Bill. Everyone's been in there having a laugh, doing whatever. As soon as you walk outside them doors, everyone goes off into their own little directions in what they're going to do and whatever they choose to do. So, but when everyone's in here, we've, we've always been taught no matter what you are what religion, colour, race everyone's the same and that's what we're always told everyone's the same so we're all doing the same thing and that's what we're all working towards the same thing
5: A few years ago um, my old Amazon coach Pat Benson he's in his mid-80s now he won uh, an award I don't know if it was or, or, or Midlands today It was one of those media outlets had a, an award it was the Unsung Heroes and he won it but I, but I think I think I think the coach of an amateur club in any city in the world that's the like yeah. UK should probably should probably win the unsung hero every single year because there's that many of them in all various different parts of, of this country I'll, and, and I'll all, all the world that are just the amount of hours they're putting in and, and boxing was always the, generally the sport for the underprivileged wasn't it yeah. you know what I mean and it didn't, didn't cost much money to go to boxing. You went, I know it was small. Leave. We didn't, we didn't, no one paid anything. Sometimes He was supposed to pay a pound a week, but I don't think he even collected it. Do you know what I mean? It was just yeah. whatever.
8: It's, a, uh, you it's know. the same down here. It's like kids pay a pound when they come down. Seniors pay a fiver. Basically, they pay, they're supposed to pay their annual membership, which pays towards their affiliation. We get them all out. We give them the kit the train to box in we get say like people donate boots or donate gloves to them, we end up giving them the gloves rather than storing them or selling but it's uh, constantly it's like my first coach didn't really know much about boxing but he always, no matter where we was all over England, London wherever, he always dropped me off to my doorstep at night, he didn't drop me off at the boxing club and make me make my own way home, he always dropped me off on my doorstep so if he had about 10 kids in the van that means he's got to drop off 10 kids. And he dropped them. So that's why I do it exactly the same. When the kids go somewhere, I make sure I drop them off on their doorstep and go wherever. And it goes back to that again. The gym. When you're a boxer, you come into the gym. You come in the gym. You might do what you're told, what the coach is telling you. You lift the bag. You do your workout. You do your spug. Once your session's over, you go and have a shower. Go home. Then you become a coach. You become a coach. Next thing you're doing... You're looking after the kids, you might tidy up the gym after, have a little chat, travel about looking after kids, other people's kids. Then you go home. But then when you run the gym, you've got to find the funding to look after the gym. You've got to find all the equipment. You've got to try and get all the money off people, you've got to try and arrange the shows, you've got to do this and do that, and it's just then you realise how much that they've done.
5: There's no doubt that um, in amateur particularly in amateur boxing clubs and from Especially ones who started at young age together and have gone through the ranks, even years after, like now, you know, people in the mid thirties, forties, whatever, and you see I mean, them and that button, and they probably never, it maybe they never even bucked senior, but they'd maybe they only bucks for four or five years as a, a schoolboy junior, but you see when they meet up, whether it's at uh, a function or something, there's and it's hard to explain this really, but there's a bond and there's a respect that,
8: yeah. uh, unless
5: you know, it's very difficult to explain it to someone.
8: Uh, you, would, you, would you agree yeah. with that, Mark? Whoever I've Whoever I've boxed with, Wayne, Wayne Alexander, the very first person i spoke with, I'm always seeing him, have chats with him. He might help me out with something. I might help him out with something. Craig Stanley, who I've very started boxing with, his his brother is now with my sister. So I've known the whole family since I was 11 years old. So he's like a brother as well. And then I've got all the boxers down here. I've got Nigel Travis, who basically... He's, they're like family, he is family, family, you've got Eddie Lamb, he's family and then you've got all the other boxers and so we, we meet up, we go to christenings, we go to birthday parties surprise celebrations, and so I might even do a reunion for, for all the boxers just to come down and have a little chat and whatever and the same with all the committee members, all the committee members, the people that used to box for the club and they're all still here, still come back, still train most of the people that come here, basically people that have been coming here for about 20 years, and they still come down. We all know them, cab drivers, police officers, firefighters, people that work for the government, all come down and they're still part of the
2: club.
4: I, there's definitely something about boxing in terms, of, in terms of the kind of empathy that it inspires and I, I, think, I think empathy is probably the strongest force there is in terms of bonding people. If you've you've been through the same thing, you see two fighters at the end of a fight, they've been through that together. If you've just boxed, you've both boxed, you might not have boxed each other, but you've been through that together. And to take that a step further, a a crucial part of your job is the fact that kids will come through these doors and and, and they want to train how to box, but they're looking for a bit more than that as well. And you grew up in in, in inner London, if they're from around here, if they feel like you know what their life is like because you lived it a few years ago, then that's another thing, isn't it? And that's yeah. another kind of aspect of, of your job, I think, to try and get to, to get to know the youngsters who, who come here. Because a lot of them, it's, you know, life's hard.
8: Mick done the same with us. He had, he had his fate. It's quite funny because I think he liked a a rogue sometimes. A little bit of a rogue, a little bit of a cheeky kid and whatever. But he still knew how to control them, he say things. He say, he say one thing to you, I think I've never really had an argument with him, but I might have had a moan about something, and he would just say one little thing, one little thing, I go away and think about it, and all of a sudden I go, oh yeah, you're right with that, and then say, from me, from me boxing to being a coach, And then Mick was there. I remember we was going out to New York one time to box out there against the um, NYPD and the the sheriff. To me, the trips were the best things because the coaches were a bit more relaxed and you see different sides to them and all this and that. And I've had the best times of my life going away on trips. I remember we was walking down the street one day and I was talking to one of the other coaches and he said to me, he goes, well, that's nice what Mick done for you. And I was like, what's that then? He goes, "Uh, got you the job working for the kids, teaching them boxing and all that. I went, no, he said nothing to me. So then I said to Mick, I went, um, what's this job then, Mick? And he had just had a chat with someone, got some funding. Next thing you know, I'm down here teaching kids exactly the same background as me, boxing, trying to um, structure them the same way as me and trying to help them out. And then from there, I've been down here ever since. And then, so sort of doing the best job really that someone could love. Well, I got an absolute blinding opportunity to be down here all the time, every day, come from my house down to here. But then, as I say, because he used to say to me, when I was finished, he used to tell me to go home. And then I would go, no, nah, stay here and help out the juniors and do this and do that. And he used to say, no, go home. But then I didn't realise that you've got the family life of it as well. And so I've got a grown up daughter, I've got a wife, I'm down here more than I am in my, in my house and she don't hardly see me in my wife or my daughter now I've got a granddaughter so I've got to make a bit more effort in
4: coming here and then going home so so there you have it that's it for another lockdown bonus episode I hope you enjoyed that one it's interesting listening back to these myself actually you remember the conversations that you had and the the areas that you touched on and just the the places that you went to as well Fitzroy Lodge are, Absolutely terrific club under the archway down there in Lambeth. Really enjoyed going down there and I'm sure we'll find ourselves back there before too long. I certainly hope we do anyway. So thanks for listening and make sure you join us again next week. Next Tuesday, uh, we have Anthony Million Dollar Crawler coming for you in the first of a new series, which we're calling Make or Break, where we take fighters back to pivotal fights in their careers. Not necessarily the fights that people would pick out as being their biggest fights, but the fights that had they not won them, their career could have been very, very different, or even actually could have been over. So that was a really interesting chat. He was an old gym mate of Matt's as well, of course, so those two had a great time reliving some old memories. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone. Look
6: out to Miss Linger, And
3: old Lucy Brown Yes, that light MacKey's
6: back
3: in town. Look out, old back is back. Sports, social, podcast network.